Friends and enemies, welcome to The Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney. We're recording from a dimly lit basement here in Treaty 6 territory, and today we're talking about the latest trend from shitty Alberta-based conservative politicians. Slap suits. What are they? How do you fight them? Why are they so effective? How did you get in here? You're not my dad. Today, to discuss the issue, we have two incredible guest co-hosts. First up is Avnish Nanda, a civil rights lawyer who runs a boutique law firm here in Edmonton, as well as Vancouver. He sues governments. We've also got Bashir Mohammed, a writer, researcher, and historian who is excellent at pulling up amazing stories of anti-black racism and black history here in Alberta. And Bashir, I think you just recently wrote your LSAT as well, so you're kind of like on your way to lawyer town? Uh, yeah, I find out in a few weeks if I did well enough. And is it like the worst thing ever, like how you're describing? It, well, I, yeah, I had my first nightmare um, like a few nights ago, but I watched When They See Us and I realized that that lawyer wrote the LSAT, so she... <laughs> If she did well, then I can do well too. All right, all right. I'm not, I'm not worried about you. I'm not worried. Okay. So I mentioned slap lawsuits in the intro. Avnish, as the only kind of law-talking guy here in the room, can you help explain what a slap suit is? Sure. A slap suit stands for strategic litigation or lawsuit against public participation. It's a lawsuit that's intended to um, intimidate or silence critics engaged in le- otherwise legitimate um, public expression or advocacy um, because the person who's subject to that advocacy or public expression doesn't like what's being said. So um, it's just a way to stifle dissent, stifle um, criticism, and it does so by putting someone through a lawsuit, which is incredibly um, resource-intensive, both in time and money, and the hope is that the person being sued, who usually doesn't have much resources, will just give up, uh, doesn't have the money to continue to sustain um, the lawsuit. So the, the specifics of the case are kind of irrelevant. It's the like, it's the actual lawsuit is the actual punishment, right? Yeah, going through the motions. Mm-hmm. And so who are the kind of like people or groups who typically file slap suits? Uh, it's usually in Canada, it has been um, large corporations, um, moneyed interests against... Rich white guys. <laughs> if you want to say that, yeah, for sure. Um, it, it has been. I've seen it in more, um, like, kind of diverse contexts, but it's definitely a situation where one party has more power and uh, privilege over people who tend to not engage in the legal system and get overwhelmed by what they're facing. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, that's an excellent kind of explanation of slapsuit. So that brings us to Carrie Diot. Carrie Diot is a former Edmonton Sun columnist, a city councillor here in Edmonton, a failed mayoral candidate, and now a conservative Edmonton MP. Um, Diot is a bit of a problematic character, and I have uh, some history with him, some personal history with him. Uh, He once got drunk on Maine and called Progress Alberta fake news and warned that we should be afraid, uh, very afraid. but at this stage of kind of Diot's career as a kind of conservative backbench MP, he's like the perfect, like smooth brained example of a guy who can go out there and regurgitate some talking points. But like he doesn't have any real power as an MP. He's not like on the front bench. He's not important. But he is willing to say all sorts of terrible things about illegals or how supervised consumption sites are destroying communities. But that kind of brings us to, to why we're here, what we're talking about. Back in February 2017, Carrie Diot posted a tweet uh, with a picture of him and Faith Goldie with the following words. Great chat with at Faith Goldie at the Manning Center conference. Thanks for making the media great again. At the Rebel TV, hashtag Canadian poly, blah, 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 blah. This photo and tweet with Faith Goldie took place less than a month after the massacre in Quebec City. Um, the largest and and kind of one of the most deadliest like mass shootings in Canadian history. And 
Faith Goldie's coverage, quote mark, quote, quote unquote coverage of this, of this tragedy, of this massacre was in no uncertain terms racist. Um, Bashir, could kind of walk us through what that, what Faith Goldie had done just a month prior to Carrie Diot taking that picture with her. Yeah. So uh, to give some context, uh, while the shooting was happening, I'm sure you're on Twitter following how everything was unfolding. Some things were misreported. For example, it was reported that it was a shooting done by two people. One of them was the actual shooter. Uh, and then the other person that was misreported was somebody who was actually going, was, was at the mosque. So they had a Muslim name and that name spread and Faith Goldie, Lauren Southern, a bunch of those other people ran with that and they said it was a false flag. So right after the shooting, they put out a newsletter actually fundraising and saying that we need to get to the bottom of the story. Uh, so, so that's kind of how that coverage unfolded. Uh, the reason why I guess they wanted to frame it as a false flag was because they felt that this attack was meant to gain sympathy for Muslims in Canada. Um, so that's just kind of a brief overview of that coverage. Yeah, it was a very clever plot by a Muslim to massacre a bunch of other Muslims in order to make people feel bad about yeah. Muslims getting shot. For sure. So, to give to give more context, during this time, too, she was really pushing the Great Replacement uh, myth. Uh, so she had videos about white genocide and all that stuff. Yeah, like the white genocide, white replacement theory, which I, I was, as we learned eventually in the trial, like, animated his actions, like were one of yeah. the like big reasons why he went out there and shot a bunch of people. Yeah. Well, there's that uh, interrogation video where he's saying that I wanted to protect people. I wanted to keep people safe. So he was heavily motivated by that stuff. Okay. So this tweet with Faith Goldie and Carrie Dia comes out and I'm sure it gets a lot of comment at the time. I'm, I'm sure you probably commented on it at the time, but it kind of sat dormant for a while until 2018 where it kind of flared back up again. And Kerry Diaz took a picture with some student union president and kind of flared up and, and the issue of him, you know, being a racist um, and you kind of framing Kerry Diaz as a racist in no uncertain terms, both based on his taking a picture with Faith Goldie, not deleting it, not commenting on it all, as well as his past actions, that kind of comes back out again. So why, again, in, in 2018, did you come back out with uh, reposting that picture and calling out Kerry Diaz as a racist? Yeah, uh, well, I used to go to the U of A. Uh, I know that student union president. And yeah, well, Kerry Diaz has just been kind of shitty in general. He hasn't acknowledged that photo. Uh, he still hasn't acknowledged it besides liking tweets of people who are critiquing the people who are critiquing him. Mm -hmm. um, so a bunch of other uh, young people, uh, like students, people who just graduated, were commenting that. And, you know, it's Twitter, and I don't like Kerry Diaz, and I really wanted him to own up to it. So I tweeted that. Soon after, though, uh, all those people who tweeted that he's a racist and myself got uh, letters from Arthur Hamilton uh, saying that we should take down the tweets. Otherwise, they're going to launch legal, uh, legal action. So you call out Kerry Diod as a racist. You get these, you know, legal letters from Kerry Diod and his fancy Tory lawyer. That That's when Avnish comes into the picture, right? Yeah. Uh, I think I DM'd you uh, right after it. And then you told me that it was actually the conservative, the conservative party's main lawyer. And that kind of freaked me out a bit. And I Googled his name and there was a Globe and Mail article about him. And the first sentence talked about him driving his Jaguar. Yeah. So, so then like at that moment I got kind of mad cause I didn't want this guy to like, I don't know, it just seemed really arrogant. And at the end of the letter, he even said, govern yourself accordingly. <laughs> so personally I was kind of pissed off. So I reached out to you and, uh, yeah, you wrote a pretty strong response. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I think this particular case, um, you know, in, in all times uh, where Bashir, um, you know, raises questions about a politician's conduct, 
or our history, uh, it's thorough. It's researched. There's there's a um, there's a legitimate basis for um, the, the words which you'll describe someone by. And in this case, carried as, yeah, being as racist. And in this case, uh, I felt that this was pure intimidation. This was an attempt to silence um, Bashir from engaging in legitimate criticism of a public official, um, a public official who, you know, has a history of being, um, you know, a, 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 a strenuous free speech advocate. Um, oh, I have a tweet here. <laughs> uh, freedom of speech is one of the most fundamental freedoms. That is why we conservatives will always defend it. Uh, also, May March twenty third, March twenty third, twenty seventeen, a month after his picture with Faith Goldie. Free speech is sacred in hashtag Canada. That's why I voted against M one hundred three. Hashtag Canada. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's a litany of examples um, in Carriott's um, days of, as being a journalist or as a politician, where he's said stuff, he's taken stands that have clearly uh, would make a reasonable person ask the question or make the allegation that he is racist. And that's what Bashir was doing. And um, I think it was um, strong on Bashir's part to, to not back down. And I don't think many are in a situation because many others were targeted as well by Mr. by Kerry Diot, and they just didn't have the resources or the capacity to deal with this. But fortunately, Bashir did and stopped Kerry Diot in his tracks. So let's get into it. So like, why exactly is Kerry Diot a racist? Walk me through it, Bashir. Uh, well, I mean, uh, I guess some context. Uh, before he was a politician, he was a journalist or a columnist, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, there was some questionable things he has written before. So, for example, there's this article he wrote on the Edmonton Sun that said gypsy immigrants should get a job first. And, like, the, the article itself is just e extremely uh, racist. Racist, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> let's see. So, quoted from it. What if a race of cannibals from some unpronounceable country cried discrimination because other folks in that nation tried to get them to give up their flesh-eating ways? And uh, da, da, da. this is comp this is he's comparing these people to to gypsies. Yes, okay. yeah, and he uh, yeah, and he, he wrote this. So I guess this is one example. But but the main thing, uh, honestly, is that tweet, like the tweet saying. Make, uh, make, Canadi I forget the caption, right? Make Canada's media great again. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's a clear endorsement of Faith Goldie. Who's, who's a white supremacist? Who's a white nationalist? She's been on, on white nationalist uh, uh, podcasts. Uh, she's pushed white nationalist conspiracy theories. And she said one of the worst shootings in Canadian history was a false flag. Him endorsing her and refusing to condemn her, in my opinion, purely makes him a racist. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no. Any other person could just send out a tweet or even delete the tweet. That tweet's still up. It's like he's still proud of it. Um, so I guess if you take all that into account, uh, that that's why, in my opinion, Carrie Diot's a racist. And he can sue me if he wants, but well, and then that's Faith, where we're at. Faith Goldie has like, I mean, if maybe you weren't paying attention, maybe you weren't up to date on who your like kind of latest shithead rebel media kind of personalities were, but like post this picture, Faith Goldie has become like an unapologetic and extremely like out and proud white supremacist, right? She got fired from the rebel. She recited the 14 words like on a podcast. She like appeared on a neo-Nazi like Daily Stormer podcast. She like, you can go down the list of like all of these reasons to disavow taking a picture with Faith Goldie, right? And so, <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of boggles the mind that he thought he could like try and sue people into silence when like people called him a racist about this, but... I mean, but it's not just like this picture with Faith Goldie. You've, you've got the gypsy immigrants thing. I mean, 
I am, uh, I'm not actually Terry Carey Diot's constituent, but I, I get his mailers because, um, whatever, that's the way postal codes work. But like, he's got a post on his own blog, May 4th, 2018, illegal border crossers hurt law abiding would be immigrants, where he refers to people over and over and over again, people who are seeking asylum as illegals or illegal. Again, like you don't, you don't get to like do that and not be called a racist. <laughs> like people aren't illegal. And people who are seeking asylum are not, in fact, doing anything illegal. And, and just to kind of reiterate this point, that most of the people he sued like, were students. Like, some of them had, like, 60 followers on Twitter. Like, I don't under... Like, you know, there was a clear att- intent to stifle the criticism and not, you know, any legitimate attempt to um, repair his reputation here. And um, I think this is a longstanding tactic um, among, you know, conservative party um members and supporters in this province, at least I know. And right after, actually, we went through uh, his Twitter account to see his likes. And yeah, like stuff from Lauren Southern, uh, Paul Joseph Watson, like the guy from InfoWars. Prison Planet or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> we love our cops, our law enforcement. Have you seen the video? No. All right, well, maybe we'll sub it in here. Okay, okay. so, I mean, I, I think you're, I mean, you're a guy, you have a bit of a platform, you have a bit of a following, but at the end of the day, you're just like a guy on Twitter. Yeah. Like people who have actual platforms, people, his former colleagues in the media, the media itself essentially didn't challenge this at all. No, no. And I think this speaks to like a broader theme and trend within kind of Canadian media, which is that like, what's the joke from like Walking Eagle? Like <laughs> um, reporter bursts into flame after word racism published without air quotes. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like. I mean, it's a joke and Walking Eagle does great work, but like that, it, that seems to be literally true. And like the, you remember the Andre Demise piece in McLean's about the, like the moral cowardice of yeah. Canadian media is leaving racism unchallenged. Like, I think that there's, there's a part from there that I want to kind of draw out and, and to, to use as a discussion point. And it's like, here's here it is from the piece. The people behind the bylines and headlines in Alberta's media class are, as with the rest of the country, very white. They carry with them the sensibilities that often insulate white supremacy, even if inadvertently. That is, of course, when they aren't outright mainstreaming white supremacist smear campaigns against refugees in European countries, as talk radio host and former Wild Rose party leader Danielle Smith recently did during a segment on her program. This is an endless source of frustration for the communities of color in the province and across Canada, as we are perpetually dragged back into the same naive and uncomplicated conversations about racism, even as our communities increasingly come under attack. And that kind of quote, I mean, I think it applies to Alberta media, like, like Alberta media, we just went through a provincial election here in Alberta where like white replacement theory, we talked about it a shit ton and the media like did not want to talk yeah, about it. Or they said it was controversial comments <laughs> with, with, with uh, quotes around it. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, the inability of the media to kind of identify <clears throat> and call out white replacement theory as like literally the, the ideology of, of of the killers, like the Christchurch killer, like was all about white replacement theory. This uh, Bissonnette guy, the, the mosque shooter in Quebec, like white replacement theory. Like this is, this is a political project and a, and an ideology that kills people, kills people who are Brown, kills people who are Muslim. And they are literally getting shot to death in their places of worship. And we have a media that is like, 
And and I'm curious about you, Avnish. I mean, you had a lot of things to say about the kind of Canadian media coverage during the last provincial election. Yeah, yeah. And and, and to be fair, there are a lot of people I've I spoke to, um, kind of online and and, and behind the scenes um, in newsrooms in this city and province that I think understand and do a good job and um, to give voices to people like us who um, have critiques. Uh, Bill Ma at the Edmonton Journal in particular, um, you know, ran an op-ed that I wrote, and uh, you know, he was very uh, aware and even you know Mark I there's there's a bunch of people who um, this, some of the CBC Edmonton staff um, did a good job of kind of contextualizing having diverse voices on calling out stuff um, but I think there is a broader issue when you have sorry the, the Star Bureau in Calgary and Edmonton did a fantastic job too but but there's a broader issue I think where um, your newsroom doesn't reflect uh, the population it serves and, and I know this has been discussed um, to various extents across this country. But I think this last election in Alberta really crystallized it for a lot of people where I remember that I wrote this kind of response to Kaylin Ford and I got re- like emails and messages from people all over this province, kind of similarly situated, uh, people of color, children of immigrants, immigrants themselves who said, you know, you know what you conveyed here, you know, reflected my views on this. And, and these are people who are from across the political spectrum. Spectrum, and I feel like that shouldn't be <laughs> maybe the job of a like one-off freelance kind of um, contributor. Mm-hmm. Um, that should always be reflected in the newspapers or the um, publications of the day. In and the staff who are there all every day after day doing that work, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, and they're afraid of um, like you know fully condemning uh, people like Kaylin Ford, um, like they. Th- I guess the way it's currently set up, they feel like they have to give them equal airtime. Like Daniel Smith ran, what was it, 45 minutes? Recepting yeah. an interview with Caitlin Ford where she didn't really challenge her. And on some point, she actually agreed with her on. And I think like a random listener who doesn't know about great replacement theory, you know, they have this person on who's not being challenged. Well, and I know Kaylin Ford was was definitely all about the like free speech argument too, yeah. right? But where then she wrote a blog post uh, <laughs> where she like tries to like uh, c- put a context around everything, but then she ends up just defending like the Great Replacement theory in it and saying it's a legitimate like thing we need to debate or whatever. Like you remember that, right? I, I did the apologia, um, but, yeah. but but like I, I think in the wake of that, like one thing I really liked is that there were some people who had like power in this media landscape who kind of you know, a loud voice. Like Ryan Justice, I remember he had Bashir on and he, I think, tried so hard to have Bashir or someone of color who's critical of Caitlin Ford what was going on on to discuss it. And um, maybe it's a Calgary thing because I felt like uh, at least the Chorus Network down there or even the Herald, they were much more reluctant to have call things out or to have diverse voices on and Maybe that's a like a split between the cities. Uh, I'm not calling out Calgary, but I'm just saying. Uh, no, Calgary's media is bad. You don't have to catch <laughs> it. Like the Calgary, the Calgary Herald newsroom is 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 trash. Well, a producer, um, like based in Calgary, with that company, reached out to me soon after the Danielle interview, and he told me, like, I, I said it, it wouldn't work the interview because I had to go somewhere else, and he was kind of frustrated. And he said, "Yeah, we're just trying to clean up her mess." <laughs> so you could tell they were scrambling. Uh, I don't think what they did worked. Whatever they did. Um, but yeah, that happened. I mean, it, I mean, it still comes back to, but these people like Caitlin Ford, et cetera, 
faith goalie, they continually come back to this kind of free speech argument, right? And and I do want to bring this up because like the reason why white supremacists continually talk about free speech is because they don't want to talk about their actual fucking ideas. If you get down to what white supremacists actually want, what organized white supremacy actually wants, they want the genocide and deportation of all non-white people from North America. And that's not something that even like polite liberals can countenance, right? That's not something that like you're like, even Daniel Smith can be like, oh, that, that would get her dander up. She would not have that on her show. But she would love to have a discussion about <laughs> about her, that person's right to say that. Yeah. And this is a longstanding trope and a longstanding tactic used by organized white supremacy to instead not talk about their ideas, but to talk about free speech. I know you've done a bunch of research on this, like especially the Alberta context. Yeah, like uh, in Edmonton, J.J. Uh, uh, Maloney, who is the leader of the Alberta clan, who had their office on Jasper, he held rallies. And there's a photo of one of them, I think from 1931 or 1932. And it says uh, Maloney free speech special. Uh, in addition, their newspaper, The Liberator, uh, which they said had a uh, had a circulation of two hundred and fifty thousand. Uh, on there's a photo of a clan meeting, and everyone there is holding up copies of the newspaper, the Liberator, uh, or their I guess their newspaper. And the headline reads, "Free speech is upheld." So, so this has always been their tactic. It's it's always a cover uh, for, for this type of stuff. Like when you hear people described as free speech uh, activists in 2019, <laughs> that usually means they're defending white supremacists or whatever. Like. Uh, uh, Shepard, for example, the uh, the the TA, like she's always framed as a free speech activist. But if you look at what she actually says, like she tweets about the lack of white babies in, in Mississauga. Too many children named Mohammed. Yeah, yeah. The, the I mean, the, the the context of free speech is like, in free speech on the left is the one that's under attack, or even just like civil society, right? Like you were served a slap a slap suit by Carrie Diod, as yeah. were as you know half a dozen other private citizens. Um, you know, we have this public inquiry going on in Alberta right now that's going to be investigating, you know, un-Albertan activities. Anyone who's ever said boo about the oil patch being bad can expect to get hauled in front of this thing. And, and what? Like, we have no idea what the kind of context or the frame of reference for that inquiry is. But you don't see, but like the, the free speech discourse is monopolized by like by right wingers and people ultimately who are upholding kind of white supremacy. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I've, uh, I've helped out um, like in the legal context. Um, people who have said things that, uh, like, you know, I certainly don't agree with, and I've helped people who, like, you know, their free speech or expression has been stifled through a variety of different contexts. But, you know, one thing I, I really want to break down here is that, um, you know, they, they say that's a level playing field, that, you know, your speech, their speech, it'll battle out, and the, and the winner will prevail. But, like, that, that comes from a place where there's an equal footing, um, that the privilege and power of these respective groups are equal. And in this context, when you talk about um, race, diversity, um, you know, white supremacy, like there is no equal footing, like uh, playing field. And you, you have often situations where um, the, these free speech uh, defenders come from a place of extreme power and privilege. They have status, they have um, resources to get their message across. And those people who are targeted, often people of color, uh, people from immigrant communities don't have the same, don't have the capacity to even engage in the same level of discourse. So, you know, fundamentally, that that's a flaw. Um, but, you know, I, I've been seeing a lot more of these kind of free speech cases in the defamation context, in, in the election context, in, um, in in street protest context. And I'm kind of, I, I'm concerned um, the way in which um, certain members on the right um, have conflated, like like you said, 
um, it's not a question of free speech or free speech absolutism. It's my speech is okay, yours is not okay. So we can like ban the citadel, or we can we can condemn the citadel, take away public funding if they don't want to hold you know, a particular speaker or host a particular speaker like Jordan Peterson. When you know that's the citadel's free speech. You know, if if Jordan Peterson could go on a soapbox and say all this anti-trans stuff, why can't the citadel say? I don't want you speaking to us because of your anti-trans stuff. That you know, that should be the model. That should be what we're trying to achieve. But a lot of these activists are really only concerned about speech they agree with. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's bring this back to kind of carry the odds. So you two get together and you essentially formulate a response and it's essentially uh, come at me, bro. You're a racist. Is that is that <laughs> is that a fair analysis of what you sent the letter you sent back to carry the odds? Uh, yeah, I would well, say no, but <laughs> well, I mean, like, <laughs> that's not, you didn't write that out. Yeah. But I'm, yeah. I'm crunching yeah. it down well, here, Avnish. Uh, Avnish wrote the legal response, mm-hmm. uh, but a part of the reason why I posted it publicly soon after, what was to show that, like, I, I understand that by you doing that, you understand that you can probably steamroll me. But thankfully, I do have like a, a small following on Twitter, so because of that. Uh, I think I was able to scare him a little bit too by showing that if you do take this to court, you're going to have to sit there and explain all these things and you're going to be raked over the coals over your past tweets, your past likes, all this stuff. And I'm not sure politically he would want that. So for me, I guess that was kind of the rationale of doing it publicly, like posting that response publicly, but also the letter. But so so you, you and Avnish get together, you write a letter and you say, yeah. Uh, I still believe you're a racist. I'm not going to back down. We can, you can see it. We'll see you in court, essentially, right? And Kerry Diot does what? Nothing. I, I heard nothing back. Did you? No, I've heard nothing to yeah. date. So you essentially, like, you stood up to the bully and then, like, the bully backed down. However, uh, he did go after the Gateway. So the Gateway is University of Alberta uh, student paper, and they wrote a couple articles about this. One article recapped everything that happened. Another article was an opinion piece calling Diot out. And, uh, yeah, uh, I think it lasted a few months. Uh, I don't know if they did a statement of defense, but they ended up uh, putting out a statement. and retracting. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. I don't think it ever got to court, but there was, yeah. like, an apology and a retraction. Yeah. And Kerry Diot was crowing about it. And, uh, again, in his statement about it, did mention how much of a defender of free speech he is yeah. Um, yeah. suing anyway. a student newspaper <laughs> for uh, calling him out. I mean, just to reiterate one more time, like, Kerry Diot is a racist. Yeah, Carrie Diot's a racist. I'll say that a million times. And Bashir's done a good job, again, explaining why, like in detail, you know, past statements from Carrie Diot and such. So, of course, <laughs> I know, I know yeah. you're a lawyer of nation. We, we, <laughs> did, we did just spend the past like, yeah, 25 yeah. minutes talking about why Carrie Diot is a racist. Yeah. Re- Carrie Diot is a racist. Yeah. If you want to sue us, go ahead. Okay. So that's Carrie Diot. I mean, I think it's worthwhile to kind of talk about the other kind of conservative. A politician who is engaging in a slap suit or has at least kind of started one, and that's Michael Cooper. He's an MP for St. Albert and Northern Edmonton. Michael Cooper, I don't know if you've ever seen him. I don't like commenting on people's opinions or appearances, but like there's something about his face that just screams like untrustworthiness and like, ugh, like, like lifelong campus conservative. Like you can tell he's a campus conservative just by looking at him. This is a guy who started wearing a suit to fucking junior high. I guarantee you he had a briefcase in fucking undergrad. Um, I don't know. I'm, did you even go, did you go to law school with him? No, no, he's, he's way more senior and he went to different law school. Okay. 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 Yeah. But like, I just have a, uh, fundamental distaste for campus conservatives. Like as a person and you're in your early twenties, late teens, you're like, 
hmm, the conservative political movement, that's, that's the one for me. And you're either like, you're either like a sociopath or like a careerist and you're just looking for a job. And I just have, they, they make my skin crawl. Anyways, Michael Cooper, uh, is an MP Edmonton, St. Albert. He was on the justice committee and at this justice committee, they were interviewing Faisal Khansuri, who is the well-known kind of like anti-racism, anti-Islamophobia activist here in Edmonton. He runs an organization called AMPAC, the Alberta Muslim Public Affairs Council. And essentially, Faisal Khansuri was just laying out like his experience with Islamophobia and racism and its connections to the conservative political movement. Um, like the yellow vest. I can't remember the exact uh, references that Faisal brought up, but it was essentially like making that kind of case. Not that wasn't his entire speech, but he definitely like obliquely referenced it. And Michael Cooper responds by reading the name of the Christchurch shooter in New Zealand out loud and reading a part of his manifesto about the great replacement theory. Yeah, that he somehow had. That he just that he just like had yeah. it in his pocket, you know. Like I just walk around with that stuff. Yeah. Totally not. Uh, <laughs> Totally normal. This is something a totally normal person does. Um, and now, and then there was a bit of a kerfuffle about that. And uh, there was a very weak T apology. Mm. And, um, and I think he was removed from the justice committee, which was like done in its work in like a week or something anyways, before breaking for the election. It was a total, right. Andrew Shear had an opportunity to like actually say like, no, this isn't cool. And he fucking didn't. Um, but now, there's a story out from earlier this month, or I think June, of Cooper threatening to sue the Hill Times over a column that essentially reported the details of the incident. Like, I have, I have to ask you, is you, like, do we see this as a trend? Do we see conservative politicians, like, just, like, suing people who say things about them that they don't like, that they that, that, that is, like, uh, distasteful to them? Well, I mean, I think especially now when the federal movement in Canada has become, I don't want to say, uh, like, how they've become so comfortable with white supremacists or people with very questionable views uh, within their organizations. Like, for example, I think their campaign director is, uh, what's his name, Hamish Marshall. Hamish Marshall, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, was a, he was a founding uh, director of Rebel Media, for example. Um, Stephen Taylor, uh, he used to be Shear's uh, digital person. I don't know if he's still involved in the campaign, but he was... Senior you, conservative operative. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. He was senior. Uh, he, he was huge uh, in starting a you know, pretty racist, uh, form, uh, on, 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 on Reddit. Um, so I, I think because there's, there's so much closeness between the two, the easiest way for them to push that away is through legal action. For example, I wrote a thing on Steven Taylor and of course in his response, he alluded to legal action. And I think that's just the easiest tool they have. A part of it may be resources. They have the money and time to do this. Well, you can't swing a cat around without hitting like a conservative lawyer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the conservative movement is full of fucking lawyers. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think this is just an effective strategy for them, and they realize it's worked. You know, I, I've heard that um, even you know, prior to like, right now, I see a lot, and I see a lot in a variety of different contexts, from you know, party members to um, operatives to uh, politicians. Um, but I also see, like, I, I've talked to other lawyers um, and just activists, and they say that, you know, it's been a trend for the last decade, particularly under um, the Stephen Harper um, approach, or the reform approach, at least, when they were consolidating power, where they threatened a lot. Like, I remember there was that theater group in Toronto was doing <laughs> a retrospective or, or, a, or a performance or a play on uh, Stephen Harper's life or Stephen Harper, and they faced a lawsuit if they, you know, ostensibly performed a piece of fiction on the prime minister. Um, 
how does that like jive with you know the representation that this is the party of free speech this is the party of, of civil liberties um free speech is sacred yeah yeah speech. but not not, not when it's criticizing me right <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, I mean, I think I think that's it when it comes to like conservative slap suits and kind of slap happy Tories. Um, you know, there are sections of Canada with good uh, anti-slap legislation. BC and Ontario uh, both have pretty solid legislation, from what I am led to believe and what I read online. Unfortunately, we don't live in either of those provinces, um, but you know, um, I think I think they are important. It's an important legislative tool. It essentially allows a judge to like say get the fuck out of here <laughs> yeah at the outset yeah <laughs> so the outset. you don't you don't waste all this time and money you, you kind of go at the beginning and figure out if it's slap or not and if it's not it's gone is this in the public interest yes no if it is get the fuck out um yeah. and there's even the possibility of like of of judgments against for bringing forward um kind of like nuisance suits so that as a as, as a way to like discourage that type of action but um i think that's kind of it for that part of the show now i want to get into sundries this is the part of the show where we have kind of shorter, quick hits where, you know, we can talk about something that's just come up and you bring up a recent news item or piece of culture thing that you want people to know about. Bashir, what do you got? Uh, so I think it was today or yesterday, uh, Premier Scott Moe tweeted out a photo of a vehicle and the vehicle uh, had a Confederate flag on the roof. Mm. I think it was a fundraiser for a mental health agency in Saskatchewan. Uh, that agency later tweeted out that they didn't know anything about this. I'm pretty sure the tweet's still up. But yeah, everyone roasted him on Twitter for it. <laughs> so there's a Confederate flag on this like old timey, like I said, the General Lee from, yeah, yeah. from uh, Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. And people were commenting, you know, it's tradition. It's like celebrating, you know, people <laughs> who live in rural communities. You know, or Southern whatever. Saskatchewan when, when they succeeded from Northern Saskatchewan from the yeah. Union, right? Yeah. It's wild. I mean, you see Confederate flags, stickers and flags around Alberta and it is very common. I mean, it is, it's very common and it's like. You don't even have the excuse of like the South, which I mean, which is again is a is a terribly racist excuse because the yeah. South was a like the South and secession was an explicitly racist white supremacist right. project. But like you live in fucking Canada, yeah. Like there's it is only exists as a racist symbol in Canada. There's there's no history with it that it that is not explicitly about owning people as slaves. Yeah, and, and when you and when usually when you dig deeper, they like the people defend it more honestly. They say it was about rebellion. But then when you go a little bit deeper, that's when they get uncomfortable. We're like, oh, no, it's, it's free speech, whatever. Okay, what do you got, Avnish? So I, I have one. I got to plug something that I'm working on a project. Um, and Duncan's been kind enough to let me do this. It's uh, th this project called Everyone's Canada. Um, you can go to the website, everyonescanada.ca. It's a kind of a project to, um, I think we're, we're kind of in this, not unprecedented, but a unique time where um, multiculturalism, pluralism, um, a sense of Canada that or aspirational sense of Canada where, you know, it doesn't matter what you look like, what you believe in, where you come from, you have a place here. I think that's under, maybe not threat, but um, suspicion in among the mainstream, among certain parties, among certain groups. And I think this election coming up um, is going to deal with race in a way that this, that maybe we saw on preview in the other election, but I don't think that this country is ready for, just by the virtue of Jagmeet Singh in Quebec, just by the virtue of the secularism bill in Quebec, and and I don't think our media is able to have the nuanced, informed, and engaged conversations they need to have. So we're trying to fill that in civil society. So you're working on this project. It's called Everyone's Canada. 
stuff is coming out soon in the context of the federal election. Yeah, uh, and, and beyond. I think this is a long-term project. And is there a website people could go to right now or is just stuff's on the way? Yeah, everyonescanada.ca, also our Instagram, and all social, everyonescanada. Um, give it a look if, you, if you're interested. Awesome. All right, I got two kind of quick hits. I just want to say solidarity with the 170 new unionized workers who work at the Sheraton Suites in Eau Claire. Uh, Unifor just recently unionized that hotel. That gives us a grand total of, I think, four unionized hotels in Calgary. Um, Really great win, fantastic work. Uh, I I am trying to, I am working to try and get the organizer and potentially some workers on for that, uh, from that um, newly organized shop because um, I think it's an interesting story to tell. The other thing is that uh, I have been a busy bee. I've been sending out FOIPs to this government. Uh, I recently got a FOIP back. Just It was a real quick hit, just like, what the hell's going on with Jason Kenney's calendar? I, I FOIPed the... FOIP stands for Freedom of Information Request. It's a way to get information out of the government that they don't want to give you. I FOIPed Jason Kenney's calendar, essentially, from May 23rd to May 26th, which was kind of the peak of the fires in northern Alberta. Not only was it the peak of the fires, but Jason Kenney decided this at this uh, kind of critical time to head to Ontario. And he had a bunch of meetings on, on Bay Street with a bunch of kind of like financiers, Canada Pension Plan, private equity ghouls, various like Bay Street folks. And then he didn't come back until Sunday night. But there was uh, some Bay Street meetings that were uh, redacted. And he's like, these secret meetings are on Bay Street. He won't tell us who they are uh, while Alberta burns. So I filed an appeal to try and get out who he was meeting with then. And then all the stuff. So we don't know. So you can't get from his calendar where he was on the Sunday. But we know from social media that Jason Kenney was actually campaigning uh, in Brampton for a federal conservative candidate. And um, I mean, expect more of this. I think at the, at the end of the day, Jason Kenney is going to spend the next three months not governing Alberta but traveling around the country, campaigning for the federal conservatives. And um, it's really fucking gross. And I would much rather have a premier that actually does his job, but Jason Kenney doesn't seem to want to do it. Um, I think that's it for this episode of The Progress Report. If you like the show, please take a minute to leave a five-star review, of course, and a generous blurb. Uh, This really helps us pick up new subscribers, lets people know what the show is all about. If you have any notes, thoughts, or comments that you think I need to hear, I'm on Twitter at at Duncan Kinney and by email at uh, DuncanK at ProgressAlberta.ca. I can't always respond, but I guarantee that I will read what you send me. Bashir, what's the best way for people to find you online? Do you have anything to plug, anything coming up? Uh, No, just Twitter at Bashir Mohammed. Okay. Avnish? Yep. Uh, uh, at Avnish Nanda. That's long, but you'll find it. All right. Well, thank you so much for this, uh, this great conversation. I'm really happy to have you here. Thanks to Cosmic Famicommunist for the amazing theme, and goodbye. Goodbye.